Following the sermon, you will be invited to come forward and place your pledge cards in the baskets on either side of the baptismal font. We will sing hymns as we do so, concluding with the hymn that is the theme of our stewardship conversation. At the 8.30 service, there was a kind of stewardship standoff. Who would go first? So don't be shy to get up and come forward, please, and then return to your seats. On behalf of the Stewardship Committee and the session and deacons and trustees, thank you in advance for your response. Jeremy just read words to us from the Apostle Paul who wrote to a tiny little just beginning church in Rome that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. We might have hope. So Paul says that we have hope in this present because of the encouragement of the former days. That our past provides encouragement for the present and for the future. And he says that that hope and that encouragement is best live out in community. Because we're marking Third Church's 190th anniversary this year, your favorite stewardship committee chose our hope for years to come as our theme. That theme echoes a line from the hymn we'll sing as we present our pledge cards, our God, our help in ages past. That hymn underscores Paul's encouragement, the encouragement of our former days, that from our past we find hope in our present and in our future. And so with some curiosity, I looked in the past, in our archives, to see how we have thought about stewardship, pew rental notwithstanding. Some of what we said has been inspirational. Some of what we have said has been cringeworthy. There are some consistent and familiar themes, I have to say, including one that we continue to live with, gratitude for all of us who participate in the hope and the expectation that more of us will participate. There is some guilt, which I think neither to be very faithful nor certainly very effective. There were various ways and methods and charts and graphs to parse and slice and dice the information, how our budget works, where your pledges are used. There is, of course, and thankfully so, in all of the stewardship material, an overriding sense of joyful responsibility that we have been blessed here in this place with a great abundance, setting and vision, building and people, and that not only it is our great duty to support it, but our great privilege and our great gift. In the newsletters from 50 years ago, 1967, 
our stewardship effort adopted a kind of you are there theme. Using photographic images and newsletters week after week after week. One spoke about the gospel in the ghetto and our inner city ministries. One said, let the children come to me and talked about Christian education and nurture. One showed hands holding another set of hands, hands that heal. Caring for people afflicted in body and mind and in spirit. And I couldn't help but think that we might tweak the language just a little bit some 50 years later, but those themes, outreach and education and caring and community, continue even to this present moment. In 1992, 25 years ago, we focused in stewardship on the centennial anniversary of this sanctuary, which looks so much different now than it did 25 years ago, for those of you who remember. The theme then for stewardship was cherish the past, celebrate the future. I wondered how many stewardship committee meetings it took to come to that theme, except it really does foreshadow our God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. And it certainly reminds us then and now that while the church is not a building, of course, but a people and a vision, that this building and its people and its ministry are profoundly and inextricably linked that we couldn't imagine being who we are and doing what we do, serving and learning and worshiping, without this place, the chapel and the sanctuary and the kitchen and all those rooms where we gather to eat and to learn and to meet. We find encouragement from our past as we pivot toward our future. And just as we have in the past, we find hope when we look around. And we find hope when we fix our vision to the future for years to come. One stewardship theme of maybe 20 years ago was, now it's our turn. Which, if not direct, was for this moment, I think, a reminder for us as we ponder what our third church forebears have handed on to us in terms of vision and legacy and resources. And it also made me think that we are considering now how we hand the same on to those who will follow us, the generation to come. They will do some things very differently from us, or at least they better. But I also like to think there'll be some important continuity Worship with music and prayer and preaching and baptism and the Lord's Supper. Education and nurture for all ages that stretches the mind and nurtures the soul. Service to those in need in the city of Rochester and beyond it. Past and present and for the years to come. Hope. The thing with feathers, Emily Dickinson said, hope. It is not our hope. It is God's hope. And our task is to be stewards of it, to celebrate it, to cherish it, to invest in it, and to give it away. 
Now, church is not the only place to find hope, of course, but it's a pretty good place. In the faith we embrace, in the songs we sing, in the prayers we utter, in the, the work we share, all of it together in community. And third, church is not the only place where we invest our money in hope. Although I did find a stewardship button in my middle desk drawer when I came. It must have been from a stewardship effort in ages past. Put third first, which is hard to say several times in a row. So third church is not the only place where we invest our money, but it's a, it's a pretty good place. We have attempted over the fall to articulate the need to make the case Although I like to think we articulate the need and make the case every day in countless ways. As Susan has so eloquently reminded us, we've emphasized the need to increase our giving by $100,000. A big lift, to be sure. But an achievable one, I believe. So that we can stabilize our financial picture as we cast our vision to the future. We've also, as Susan said, emphasized expanding our base, inviting more and more of us into the conversation about what it means to support this ministry financially. All we can do now is hope that you have considered prayerfully and will respond in faith, that you stretch yourself and challenge yourself, and that if you've not pledged before, you will. And for that, we say thank you. There's an old political slogan, keep hope alive. Again, in this context, it's not our hope, but it's God's hope. But that's our job, keep hope alive. And God's hope does happen here. Just yesterday, on a Saturday in December, people came here to study. Children came here to audition for our children's musical. Workers banged away in the bell tower, getting our bell chime tower ready to be played again. A hot meal was shared with our neighbors. Prayers were uttered at a hospital bedside. And people gathered in this space once again to cling to the promises of faith at a memorial service. So hope was found here, here, and then in the many places all of us scatter to for the rest of the day, living our lives in hope. This church and its ministry served as a platform and a vehicle and a channel for hope. Whether in the struggles of our lives, each of us live day by day by day, or in the very real struggles facing our conflicted world. Hope is, finally, why we pledge. It's finally why we show up at all, I think. Hope is not wishful thinking. It is not mindless optimism, nor even pie-in-the-sky faith. Kathleen Norris writes, Hope has an astonishing resilience and strength. Its very persistence in our hearts indicates that it is not a tonic for wishful thinkers, but the ground on which realists stand. And Augustine famously wrote some 1,500 years ago, Hope has two beautiful daughters, 
Their names are anger and courage. Anger at the way things are, and courage to see that they do not remain the way they are. For a little while this fall, I wondered if it was odd that we are receiving pledges at the beginning of Advent. It was a scheduling necessity, frankly, mostly so we could have that wonderful youth Sunday worship service a couple of Sundays ago. Then I decided it was not so odd that to connect what we give and what we believe with the themes of Advent makes perfect sense. Hear what Annie Lamont wrote. Hope begins in the dark. The stubborn hope that if you just show up and try to do the right thing, the dawn will come. You wait and watch and work. You don't give up. That is Advent. And that is hope. Again, not our hope, but God's. Frederick Beekner wrote in words that will launch us on our Advent journey and serve as a kind of benediction as we come forward now to share our gifts. Beekner writes, for Christians, hope is ultimately hope in Christ. The hope that he really is what for centuries we have been claiming he is. The hope that despite the fact that sin and death still rule the world, he somehow conquered them. The hope that in him and through him, all of us stand a chance of somehow conquering them too. The hope that at some unforeseeable time and in some unimaginable way, he will return with healing in his wings. That is Advent. That is why we give. That is why we are here. That is why we have hope. Amen.